0: Hey, good morning. Welcome to, <clears throat> ah, excuse me. W- welcome to Just Human number 235. It is Monday and I feel like it's Monday. I am, I am nursing this coffee and praying that at some point it kicks in. Cause we're going to dial into some legal filings and <laughs> on their own, they may not be enough to, to wake me up, but I hope they are. Um, as promised, we're going to go over Ed Mises filing uh to SCOTUS saying that Jack Smith's appointment is illegal and that Jack Smith's appointment should be thrown out and so should all of the cases that he's brought because he never should have been appointed in the way he was anyway. So that's going to be our target this morning is we're going to discuss that and we're going to compare Jack Smith's appointment to the appointment of uh special counsel Mueller, Durham, her, and Weiss, which by the way if I remember correctly, we're supposed to be getting a a report from special counsel, her really soon. I feel like, I feel like the prediction was the news reports were that it was going to be sometime around Christmas, if not shortly after. Wouldn't it be something if that drops right before a major primary date or right before some sort of major event related to Biden? Like maybe Hunter Biden gets held in contempt of Congress and around that same time, special counsel, Hur drops his report about Biden's mishandling of classified documents. Or maybe it's ties in with timing wise to Jack Smith and his indictments of Trump for mishandling uh, ties into some event related to that. I don't know. Uh, whenever it drops, you can expect that special counsel, Hur is going to be called before the oversight committee or the judiciary committee and it's going to have to uh testify there and that'll be fun. Um so many good things happening. I was I was thinking about starting the show talking about uh Trump and his campaign and his court dates and how they're all they're all overlapping one another and it's quote unquote causing problems and uh of course Trump's campaign managers and campaign staff they're going to say that it's causing problems and it's election interference and all this stuff, and it most certainly is, but it's also exactly what he wants. There's no difference between his his court battles and his campaign battles. They're one and the same, and we spent a lot of time talking about... Well, not a lot. We spent some time talking about that last night on Defected. Uh, we had a great episode of Defected last night. Um It went by really quickly. We got done, and I was like, man, we were here for three hours? I didn't realize... It didn't feel like three hours, and... um. Our actual show was like two hours of us talking about the the topics, but the last hour and change was us going through um rants and the fact it flew by last night it um it was a fun episode, and we we did spend a good amount of time talking about Trump and his campaign and these those dates so that leaves me with this morning I think we're gonna focus in on this Jack Smith special counsel thing. My poor dogs are up there howling. or at least one of them is all right let me see if i can get this thing to work right come on now come on now that's not the screen i want this one there we go all right (laughs) i don't know if y'all can hear that but that was a funny sound it rained like all weekend and the dogs have been cooped up all weekend and it's muddy outside everywhere and they haven't they haven't been able to run around and be their usual mischievous selves outside so they are they're kind of in a mood just like kids get when they have to stay inside when it's raining so um i'm planning on after the show taking them to the soccer field and letting them run around and be stupid for a little while until they exhaust themselves That's my plan I'm going to take them to the soccer field And make sure they exhaust themselves Okay If you like the show Hit the thumbs up over there on Rumble That really helps me out I love um, all the support that I get from you guys And seeing my episodes make the top 50 on Rumble is, uh, is pretty cool Pretty dang cool And it's you guys that make that happen So if you enjoy the show Hit the thumbs up If you would like to support the show Head over to my link tree or to the links in the description of the show, wherever you're watching, whether it's on Foxhole or Pilled or DLive or X, wherever. Head on over to the links over there and sign up for my Substack. Everything on there is free. That's where the podcast version of the show is. You can also do a paid subscription if you care to support the show. Ko-Fi.com. Keep my coffee cup filled. BensonHoneyFarms.com hit this affiliate link or the affiliate link in the show description and any delicious honey or soap or air freshener, stuff like that that you purchase. I was looking to see if mine's nearby me. I moved it. Um, anything you purchased over there at Benson honey farms, they kick a few dollars my way for that affiliate link and everything. There's delicious. Same thing with bootleg products. I made some really good um, uh, chicken quesadillas this past weekend something I make a lot and I use bootleg salsas or bootleg products. I use their fajita seasoning for that. And then I also made some eggs and my secret ingredient in any time I cook eggs, is just a little bit of taco seasoning about a quarter teaspoon per egg to half a teaspoon per egg. It depends on just how I want it, but um, that's the right way. If you've never tried just a little bit of taco seasoning on your eggs you don't know what you're missing. Click that link. Anything you buy over here, everything I've had from here is absolutely outstanding. Anything you buy over there, if you use the link, it, they kick a couple dollars my way. Manly cans, same thing. Valentine's Day is coming up. You got to start planning for the manly man in your life and what you're going to get him. I have the Dapper Man can. Right here. And great products. I do like their stuff. Especially the brush. Like the other stuff's great. It is. But I really like the brush. It feels really good. Um, Manly Cans, hit that link. Anything you buy over there, they'll kick a couple dollars my way. And then I have merch and Vimbo. All of that stuff, you know? All that stuff. If you're so, if you're so inclined. And I appreciate it very much. Now, um, let's let's get into it. Let me have a sip of coffee. And let's get into the main course today. It may be the only course, the way the dogs are complaining. <laughs> I may get through this and the dogs are like, that is enough. Let us out. They're in their they're in their crates right now. Um they got us up at four AM needing to go outside. They're they're kind of a mess already today. Okay, so Ed Meese filed this brief with the Supreme Court, and um, it's Ed Meese plus law professors Stephen Calabresi and Gary S. Lawson, um, friends of the court supporting neither party. That's what amici curiae means, and um, they're filing apart from either party. And uh, this is this is notable on its own. But the appeals court has already advised the parties, uh, Trump and Jack Smith, to be aware of this filing and a couple others for their oral arguments coming up this week. So they're going to be asking questions probably about this. So this brief does matter. It's not just a long shot Hail Mary. I mean, it may be, but it does matter in that there's going to be questions about it at the appellate level and uh, possibly at SCOTUS, too. And they put forth a good question. So And you guys may remember, or at least I do, that at the very beginning of the Jack Smith special counsel, I recall um I recall some people saying that Jack Smith's appointment was was not legal. I remember it. I remember a couple of news articles and a couple other things. Saying that Jack Smith's appointment wasn't right, um, and then it, that all that kind of went away. So I, it's kind of there's a bit of deja vu going on here with this. I was just checking on Foxhole. I'm, I'm live on Foxhole, but I'm not
1: I don't see myself
0: The chat on Foxhole isn't showing up for me either. So if you're watching on Foxhole, great. I can't see you guys for some reason. Um, hope it's working over there. I think it is. Okay.
1: Let's zoom in here.
0: There's certificate, parties, okay. Except for the following, this is who is here. Uh, in addition to the Amici briefs, court it's time to brief Brad Barrington. Da da da. Hold up. I got the right one, right? Edwin Meese. Yeah. Okay. Files under review. Related cases. Let's scroll past that. Disclosure. Statement. Table of contents. Well, that is the question, E.H. Kyle. If Garland appointed him, what makes it illegal? Yeah, that's the that's the question. Um, It has to do with the statute, which I don't know if you guys remember. There was an episode of Devolution Power Hour a while back where we were discussing the uh draft um the draft executive order that Trump supposedly got on December 18th um of 2020 and uh he was going to appoint Sidney Powell as special counsel to go in and seize the voting machines and all this stuff and I told I said on that show that one of the issues with what they were saying is that presidents don't appoint special counsels they used to But the statute that allowed for that expired back in, like, 97 or 98 or 99, somewhere around there. It was in the late 90s. That statute expired, and Congress never renewed it. So special counsels are appointed by uh, the AG, the Attorney General, not by the President. So that draft executive order doesn't even make sense. And the story about it doesn't really make sense, because Trump is asking his lawyers can I do this? And they're saying, yes, you can do it, but we don't think it's a good idea. And, um, it never makes sense because Trump doesn't have the power to do it to appoint a special counsel. So, I don't know. We haven't got the full story of that day. All right. Summary of the argument. Jack Smith does not have authority to conduct the underlying prosecution. Those actions can be taken only by persons properly appointed as federal officers to properly created federal offices. Neither Smith nor the position of special counsel under which he purportedly acts meets those criteria. And that is a serious problem for the American rule of law. Whatever one may think of the defendant or the conduct at issue in the underlying prosecution. And I think this is well advised. While we're reading this, do your best to take out of your mind whether or not you like Jack Smith or Trump or take out your own personal interest and feelings and estimations of the players involved. Let's just look at it as just by the letter of the law, letter of the statute, what attorney generals can and cannot do. Let's just look at it very dryly. Okay. With no emotion or as little emotion as possible. And see if we agree with the argument that Ed Meese and these two law professors are making, okay? It's difficult for me and for everyone. It's difficult. You know, we're humans, but it's worth it to try and deal with this as dryly as possible with as little emotion as possible and just see whether or not it's legal or illegal. The illegality addressed in this brief started on November 18th, 2022, when Attorney General Merrick Garland exceeded his statutory and constitutional authority by purporting to appoint Smith to serve as special counsel for the Department of Justice. Smith was appointed, quote, to conduct the ongoing investigation into whether any person or entity, including former President Donald Trump, Violated the law in connection with efforts to interfere with the lawful transfer of power following the 2020 presidential election or the certification of the Electoral College vote held on or about January 6, 2021. Of the Attorney General, or Office of the Attorney General, quote, appointment of John L. Smith as special counsel. And he gives the order number, which we're going to look at it later. Attorney General Garland cited as statutory authority for his appointment 28 U.S.C. 509 510. 515 and 533. That's important. That's the law we're going to be looking at is USC or 28 USC 509. I'm going to go ahead and bring it up and set it aside because we're going to be referring to it <clears throat> several times. In fact, let uh, I me mean, title 28. There we go. Yeah, part two. Yeah, we're going to be going bouncing back and forth between these two right here. But none of those statutes, nor any of the other statutory or constitutional provisions, remotely authorize the appointment by the Attorney General of a private citizen to receive extraordinary criminal law enforcement power under the title of special counsel. First, the appointments clause requires that all federal offices, quote, not otherwise provided for, in the Constitution must be established by law. That is U.S. Constitution Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2. And there is no statute establishing the Office of Special Counsel in the DOJ. The statutory provisions relied upon by DOJ and lower courts for the appointment of special counsels over the past half century do not authorize the creation and appointment of special counsels at the level of United States attorneys. And United States v. Nixon from 1974 does not hold to the contrary because no question was ever raised in that case about the validity of the independent counsel's appointment. That case concerned the relationship between the president and DOJ as an institution, not between the president and any specific actor purportedly appointed by DOJ. Second, Even if one overlooks the absence of statutory authority for the position, there is no statute specifically authorizing the Attorney General rather than the President by and with the advice and consent of the Senate to appoint such a special counsel. Under the Appointments Clause, inferior officers can be appointed by department heads only if Congress so directs by statute, and so directs specifically enough to overcome a clear statement presumption in favor of a presidential appointment and senatorial confirmation. No such statute exists for the special counsel. Third, the special counsel, if a valid officer, is a superior or principal rather than inferior officer and thus cannot be appointed by any other means other than presidential appointment and senatorial confirmation regardless of what any statutes purport to say. This is true as a matter of original meaning, and it is even true as a matter of case law once one understands that neither Morrison v. Olson from 1988 nor Edmund v. United States from 1997 can plausibly be read to say that any person who is in any fashion subordinate to other executive official other than the president is an inferior officer. Such a reading of those decisions leads to the ludicrous result that there is only one non-inferior officer in every executive department to be sure there are times when the appointment of a special counsel is appropriate and statutes and the constitution both provide ample means for such appointments by allowing the use of existing united states attorneys any number of united states attorneys have performed with distinction the function of serving as a special counsel for example On December 30, 2003, Patrick Fitzgerald, who was then the U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Illinois, was lawfully appointed by the then-acting Attorney General to investigate the Valerie Plame leak affair, which arose within the jurisdiction of the District of Columbia District Court. Mr. Fitzgerald, who was a Senate-confirmed officer of the United States, prosecuted and secured the conviction of Vice President Richard Cheney's Chief of Staff, Scooter Libby. In the U.S. District U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. Man, that is a flashback. For some of us who were paying attention back then, doesn't that just like... Hearing those names... It just takes me back to before smartphones. <laughs> it takes me back to before smartphones and... Transports me back to an old jeep I was in listening to Rush Limbaugh every morning and and Hannity and Gurr those evil Democrats Valerie Plame. All right. What what a what a neocon I was back then. Ugh. Other recent examples involve the Senate confirmed U.S. attorneys Rod Rosenstein, John Huber, and John Durham. Now, guys, 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 John Huber. When's the last time you remember John Huber's name coming up? In, rel- in, in relation to Trump and things going on in Trump world. I want you to go ahead and note in your mind, John Huber in the context of this filing, because I don't think his name is mentioned by accident. And I have a little pet theory that I've been chewing on ever since I started reading this document. I read it the first, I either read it the day I came out or the day after. And ever since, and I've been thinking about John Huber. So all of these investigations and prosecutions, he's going to, I'm going to talk about them later. All of these investigations and prosecutions of high level wrongdoing were lawful. What federal statutes and the constitution do not allow, however, is for the attorney general to appoint a private citizen who has never been confirmed by the Senate as a substitute United States attorney under the title special counsel. This is what happened in November 18, 2022. That appointment was unlawful, as are all the illegal allegations that have flowed from it, including Citizen Smith's current prosecution of defendant. So Jack Smith is illegally appointed, according to this. I'm going to check on Pill just again. Okay, I see a few uh, chats over there. Good morning to y'all. Pam Tate, Daily Insanity, Captain McMuffin, <laughs> and John Otter. <laughs> Captain McMuffin talking about drinking I'm going to need more coffee than this. All right, glad it's working over there. All right argument. No statute. This is the key argument. No statute authorizes the position of special counsel supposedly held by Smith. In our constitutional system, Congress alone has the authority to create federal offices not established by the Constitution, and the Attorney General cannot ex nihilo fashion offices as he sees fits. Like he can't just create it out of thin air. Is what that's saying. He can't take it out of nothing and just create this office, nor has Congress given the attorney general power to appoint a special counsel of this nature. Thus, without legally holding any office, Smith cannot wield the the authority of the United States, including his present attempt to prosecute defendant. A. Only Congress can create a federal office. The Constitution itself creates no executive positions other than the presidency and the vice presidency, if one considers it an executive position. Instead, the Constitution commits the power to create federal offices to Congress under the necessary and proper clause, which gives Congress the power, quote, to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers and all other powers vested by the Constitution of the United States, the government of the United States or in any department or officer thereof. A law creating offices to carry out executive functions is the quintessential law, quote, necessary and proper for carrying into execution federal powers. Moreover, Congress has the exclusive constitutional power to create federal offices. And that is from a book by two of the people who filed here, Stephen G. Calabresi and Gary Lawson, and they have a book called "Why Robert Mueller's Appointment as Special Counsel Was All Unlawful," or not a book. Um, let's see, it's a filing, I believe, but or at least a paper. Um, I have I have a problem with that. <laughs> I have a bit of a problem with that, but we'll we'll get back to it. English monarchs could create offices, but the founders considered this power abusive and consciously denied it to the president. That's from a book called The U.S. Constitution, Creation, Reconstruction, The Progressives, and the Modern Era from 2020 by two of the filers here, Calabrese and Lawson. Accordingly, the Constitution does not give the president or the heads of executive departments the power to create any offices and to appoint any officers they deem appropriate. Instead, it requires that Congress first create all offices to which federal inferior, superior, or inferior can be appointed. This is, co- confirmed, this is confirmed by the Appointments Clause, which provides for the appointment of officers, quote, which shall be established by law, U.S. Constitution Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2 the addition of the emphasized phrase in the appointments clause was deliberate on september 15th this is a quote on september 15th 1787 after officers of the us of, of the us whose appointments are not otherwise provided for were added the words quote and which shall be established by law this addition this addition's plain import is that the law that establishes the office must be a statute a regulation or executive or judicial order is not the kind of law that can create an office under the appointments clause indeed the constitution consistently uses the terms law and laws when otherwise unqualified to mean statutes if no statute establishes an office there is no office to which someone can be appointed So, simply put, they're saying, look, there is no office of the special counsel that has been created by law, and therefore Jack Smith cannot possibly hold such an office. And the attorney general cannot create such an office out of thin air. That's argument one. Here's that was argument one, part B, or part A. Here's part B. The organic statutes of the Department of Justice do not, by law, vest in the Attorney General of the United States the power to appoint officers with the power of a supposed special counsel. So first, Part A was about the office, and that the office is not created statutorily or by law by Congress, so therefore it doesn't exist for Attorney General Garland to appoint a special counsel to. Next, we're going to talk about the power that special counsel Smith has and how the attorney general can't give such a power to to Jack Smith. DOJ's current structure, as provided by the statute, includes an attorney general, a deputy attorney general, associate attorney general, solicitor general, 11 assistant attorneys general, one U.S. Attorney for each Judicial District, currently 94, a Director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, a Director of the U.S. Marshals Service, one U.S. Marshal for each Judicial District, a Director of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms and Explosives, a Director of the Bureau of Prisons, 21 U.S. Trustees, and as many Assistant United States Attorneys and Special Attorneys, as the Attorney General deems necessary. Those are his powers. Those are the offices which the Attorney General, by statute, can fill. This list does not include more than 100,000 people who work at DOJ. The vast majority of federal workers, including those who work at DOJ, are not, quote, officers of the United States. They are employees whose appointments are not controlled by the Appointments Clause and who therefore do not require specific statutory authorization. For their appointments, it suffices to provide, as Congress has done, that, quote, each executive agency, military department, and the government of the District of Columbia may employ such number of employees of the various classes recognized by Chapter 51 of this title as Congress may appropriate from year to year. 5 U.S.C. 3101. But officer positions must be specifically established by law. U.S. Constitution Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2. And employees cannot exercise the powers of officers. To be sure, the Ethics and Ethics Government Act of 1978 added to the mix an independent counsel appointed by a special three-judge court upon referral by the Attorney General. But the statutory provision for the independent counsel expired in 1999 when Congress failed to reauthorize it. That's what I was speaking of earlier. The stat, the, they used to call it an independent counsel, but the statute that allowed for that expired in '99.
1: Shortly before
0: that expiration, then Attorney General Janet Reno. Promulgated regulations, which, if valid, are still in force today. It's a key question. If valid. Providing for an Office of Special Counsel. See Office of Special Counsel 64 Federal Regulation 038, July 9, 1999, codified as 28 CFR 600.1. Go ahead and pull that one up because we will be looking at that too. You're right, Janet Reno was a handsome woman. Ugh. Ugh. You know, people in government really aren't known for being very attractive. You know? It's rare. It's rare. What uh what did what did Trump uh Rush used to say about it? He used to say Government. didn't he used to say government is like Congress is Hollywood for the ugly. Something like that. Shame on me for not remembering it correctly. It was something like that. Politics is Hollywood for the Ugly. Something like that.
1: I can't remember. I I think it was Politics is Hollywood
0: for the Ugly. I think that's it. Or that's really, really close to what he used to say. All right. The regulations clarify that outside counsel means someone from outside the United States government. The Reno regulations, like the independent counsel statute, contemplate appointment as a putative inferior officer of a non-governmental official to an office that is fully the equivalent of a United States attorney. So an outside office that is the equivalent of a United States Attorney's Office. But regulations are not the kind of law that can establish a federal office. Only a statute can do that under the Appointments Clause, and no statute creates a special counsel with the jurisdiction and authority Smith wields. The Reno Regulations cite as Authority 5 U.S.C. 301 and 28 USC 509, 510, 515 through 519. In this in his order appointing Smith, Attorney General Garland cited 28 USC 509, 510, 515 and 533. These statutes, singly or collectively, plainly provide no such authority. Let's start with 5 USC301. This provision is a general authorization for the issuance of regulations by the attorney general or any other department head. And it says the head of an executive department or military department may prescribe regulations for the government of his department, the conduct of its employees, the distribution and performance of its business and the custody use and preservation of its records, papers, and properties. This isn't merely a general housekeeping provision. Nothing in it creates any offices or authorizes the creation or abolition of any offices. Indeed, if Section 301 were taken as general authorization for appointment of officers, the entirety of the more numerous specific provisions for appointment of officers, officers throughout the United States Code would be superfluous. That is an absurd construct of 301, and no one seriously advances it. Next, 509 of Title 28, Section 509 of Title 28, merely says that, quote, all functions of other officers of the Department of Justice and all functions of agencies and employees of the Department of Justice are vested in the Attorney General, except for some functions not relevant here. But this provision, likewise, does not authorize the creation of any office, It simply says that the attorney general can control all his subordinates in DOJ or personally assume and exercise their responsibilities. Similarly, Section 510 merely says, the attorney general may from time to time make such provisions as he considers appropriate, authorizing the performance by any by any other officer, employee or agency of the Department of Justice of any function of the attorney general. As with Section 509, the statute provides for shifting authority among the persons who work at DOJ, but it says nothing about who those persons are or how they got there. Attorney General Garland also cited 28 U.S.C. 515, and the Reno regulations relied on 28 U.S.C. 515 through 519. Again, alone or singly, none of these provisions comes close to authorizing the creation of a special counsel for the appointment by the attorney general of a private citizen to the position. First, 515A confers only the following power. The attorney general or any other officer of the Department of Justice or any attorney specially appointed by the attorney general under law may when specifically directed by the Attorney General, conduct any kind of legal proceeding, civil or criminal, including grand jury proceedings and proceedings before committing magistrate judges, which United States attorneys are authorized by law to conduct, whether or not he is a resident of the district in which the proceeding is brought. So the Attorney General can pluck out, um, let's see, Attorney General or any other officer of the Department of Justice or any attorney specially appointed by the attorney general under law can pluck someone out and have them conduct these types of proceedings, legal proceedings, civil or criminal grand jury proceedings, magistrate judges, um, anything that United States attorneys are authorized by law to conduct, they can pluck someone out and have them do it. Thus, 515A does not create any offices or authorize their creation. Instead, it concerns the powers of people who have been properly appointed to offices under the law pursuant to other statutory provisions. So it's people who already have that power vested in them, they can be plucked out and assigned the duty of performing these other proceedings but they've already had, they have already had the power. And it allows the Attorney General to designate a U.S. attorney or a special attorney appointed under law to prosecute a case whether or not he is a resident of the district in which the proceeding is brought. Thank John Huber. Section 515A is thus a geographical and jurisdictional allocated provision not a grant of power, to appoint private citizens as special counsels. For example, in 2003, this clause allowed the Attorney General to appoint Patrick Fitzgerald, the Senate-confirmed U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Illinois, to take on special counsel duties to investigate the Valerie Plame affair, which arose in the District of Columbia. Section 515A permits this geographical flexibility. Second, 515 adds in a subsection B. Each attorney specially trained or specially retained under authority of the Department of Justice shall be commissioned as a special assistant to the attorney general or special attorney and shall take the oath required by law. Foreign counsel employed in special cases are not required to take the oath. The attorney general shall fix the annual salary of a special assistant or a special attorney. Again, This subsection is not a grant for a new power to retain or to hire new officers, but instead provides on its face that attorneys who have already been hired or retained and who may be only employees, not officers, can also have a title and salary. To be sure, 515A and 515B both assume that there are going to be attorneys, quote, specially appointed by the Attorney General under law and, quote, specially retained under the authority of the Department of Justice. And indeed, an explicit provision elsewhere in Title 28, Section 543, authorized the Attorney General to hire such persons who can then be denominated and commissioned as special assistants or special attorneys under 515B. These provisions confer no authority to create offices. Likewise, section 516 through 519, concern the internal allocation of authority among existing DOJ personnel and provide no authority to create offices. Section 519, for example, provides quote, except as otherwise authorized by law, the attorney general shall supervise all litigation to which the United States, an agency or officer thereof is a party and shall direct all United States Attorneys, Assistant United States Attorneys, and Special Attorneys appointed under Section 543 of this title in the discharge of their respective duties. There is no office creating power here either. Section 519, however, points to the correct answer regarding the Attorney General's statutory authority to appoint special counsels. Section 519 notes that there are special attorneys appointed under Section 543 of this title. Indeed, there are. Section 543 of Title 28 is explicit authority for the Attorney General to appoint special counsels, yet neither the Reno Regulations nor the Garland Memo appointing Smith makes any mention of this provision. Why not? Because Section 543 does not authorize the kind of special counsel contemplated by the Reno regulations or the Garland appointment of Smith. Section 543 is narrowly cabined, as one would expect from the overall structure of Title 28. The government for decades has steadfastly refused to rely on this provision that explicitly provides the Attorney General with hiring authority, and it continues to refuse to rely on it in current litigation. For the obvious reason that the provision contains internal limitations, which the government seeks to avoid. This is clear from the text of Section 543, which provides, quote, A, the Attorney General may appoint attorneys to assist United States attorneys when the public interest so requires, including the appointment of a qualified tribal of qualified tribal prosecutors and other qualified attorneys to assist in prosecuting federal offenses committed in Indian country. B, each attorney appointed under this section is subject to removal by the Attorney General. This is an obvious and explicit authorization for the creation and appointment of special assistants or special counsels. They mean the same thing, really. So do special attorneys, special prosecutors. Those terms are all thrown around interchangeably. Who merely assist U.S. attorneys when the public interest so requires. There are, moreover, many contexts in which the appointment of such persons makes sense. The government often <laughs> the government, the government often encounters problems for which private lawyers have expertise, either gained from past government experience or private experience, thank Huber. On matters such as organized crime, banking, antitrust, tribal law, and so forth. Those lawyers may not want a permanent government position but may be willing to help the government on a limited basis, perhaps as part of a task force or a team dealing with a specific piece of complex litigation requiring expert knowledge. An appointment as a special assistant or special counsel under the control and direction of United States Attorney is an obvious win-win in such instances. The problem for the government, in the case of Reno regulations and the Smith appointment, is that those regulations and the Smith appointment order, order do not contemplate special counsels who assist U.S. attorneys. Instead, they contemplate special counsels who replace U.S. attorneys in specific cases. Smith, for example, was not appointed to assist U.S. attorneys he was hired as a powerful standalone officer who replaces rather than assists the functions of the United States attorneys within the scope of his jurisdiction. This is precisely the role that the ethics and government act authorized for independent counsels, but that statute no longer exists. And in the absence of that statute or a similar one, there is simply no statutory office of special counsel to which Smith could be appointed to function as a stand-in for a U.S. attorney. The remainder of Title 28 confirms this conclusion. Section 533, relied upon by Attorney General Garland, is part of the chapter of dealing with the FBI and, it's, and is entitled, quote, Investigative and Other Officials. It says, quote, the Attorney General may appoint officials, one, to detect and prosecute crimes against the United States, Two, to assist in the protection of the person of the president and three to assist in the protection of the person of the attorney general four, to conduct other, to conduct such other investigations regarding official matters under the control of the justice department and the department of state it may be directed by the attorney general but section 533 1 is not a general authorization to the attorney general to appoint officers it specifically and solely authorizes the appointment of investigative and other officials. Officials, not officers, connected with the FBI. This does not include special counsels. This is clear for three reasons. First, Section 533 is part of the Chapter 33 of Title 28. Encompassing 531-540D. through 540D which deals with the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Section 532, immediately preceding 533, is entitled Director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation and spells out the Attorney General's authority over the FBI. Section 534, immediately following 533, concerns preserving evidence in criminal cases. Section 533 thus clearly deals with FBI officials and agents, not special counsels. This is how the government has long understood this provision, which has been employed as the basis for the FBI's law enforcement authority. Second, 533 concerns the appointment of investigative and prosecutorial officials. Such officials as that term is used in the statute are not Article II, quote, officers of the United States and cannot perform the functions of officers of the United States. They are non-officer employees who, as FBI agents, must be subject to the supervision and direction of the officers of the United States. The FBI needs office and field personnel to perform its functions, and 533 allows the agency to have them. But those office and field personnel are not officers of the United States and do not have the range and power of a special counsel. To the contrary, The word officer is a constitutional term of art, not only because it is used that way in the appointments clause, but also because Article 2, Section 4 allows for the impeachment and removal from office of, quote, all civil officers of the United States. Congress can try to impeach the deputy attorney general or the FBI director or the director of DHS, such as what is on the table right now which Johnson says he has the votes for. Congress can try to impeach the deputy attorney general or the FBI director, but no one thinks Congress can impeach DOJ trial attorneys, Office of Legal Counsel, attorney advisors, or field personnel of the FBI. What is more, officers can be put uh, by Congress in the line of succession to the presidency. See U.S. Constitution Article 2, Section 1, Clause 6. But no one thinks investigative officials at the FBI or DOJ trial attorneys who are bureaucrats and employees can be put in the line of succession to the presidency. That simply is not how Congress was using the term officials in Section 533. Third, and perhaps most tellingly, a cavalier reading of 533 to authorize hiring beyond its obvious scope obliterates the careful structure of Title 28. That title is divided into chapters dealing with the Attorney General, the FBI, U.S. Attorneys, U.S. Marshal Service, U.S. Trustees, Bureau of ATF, e, ATFE, and the now unsettled, unsettled. Sunsetted, sorry, now the Sunsetted Independent Council, which that statute that expired in 1999. Wide-ranging special councils of the sort represented by Smith are not part of these provisions outside of the now-defunct Ethics and Government Act sections. At a more granular level, the effect of a loose reading of the statutes is even more bizarre. Congress, as noted earlier, has provided for the appointment... All with presidential nomination and senatorial consent of a deputy attorney general, an associate attorney general, a solicitor general, exactly 11 assistant attorneys general, plus an assistant attorney general for administration who is in the competitive service and is appointed by the attorney general, and exactly one U.S. attorney for each judicial district, of which there are currently 94. A reading of 533 to create essentially unlimited Inferior officer appointment power in the attorney general wreaks havoc on this structure. It would allow the attorney general to appoint an entire shadow DOJ to replace the functions of every statutorily specified officer. No wonder the Reno regulations did not invoke it. For reasons described in depth, by Calabrese and Lawson in Mueller's appointment. The Supreme Court in United States v. Nixon, 1974, did not pass on the scope of 533. That decision contains some ill-considered dictum regarding 533, but it merits but it merits no weight. Anyone tempted to rely on Nixon should read the case briefs to see what issues were truly raised there. Those issues involved only the relationship between the president and DOJ as an institution. The same arguments would have been raised if the attorney general personally, rather than the independent counsel, had brought the suit at issue here. So if it was the attorney general Garland who was prosecuting Trump, I mean, yeah, prosecuting Trump and not a special counsel, then it would be the same arguments as in Nixon. Because it would be the institution of DOJ versus the president. But that's not what it is. The same argument would have been raised if the attorney general personally, rather than independent counsel, had brought the suit at issue here. Moreover, Nixon was argued and decided before the modern rebirth of separation of powers, which dates from two years after Nixon in Buckley versus Vallejo, 1976. In short, the position supposedly held by Smith was not established by law. The authority exercised by him as a so-called special counsel far exceeds the power exercisable by a mere employee. He is acting as an officer, but aside from the specific offices listed in the statutes discussed above, there is no office for him to hold. That alone robs him of authority to represent the United States in any capacity, including before this court. Hmm. Compelling argument, isn't it? It's not done. It's not over yet, but just that right there. Compelling argument, isn't it?
1: I remember when I first read it, it made me pause and it still makes me pause. Like, damn, that makes a lot of sense.
0: Part two, the appointments clause establishes a default rule that all heads of departments, principal officers, and superior officers require presidential nomination, Senate confirmation and then presidential appointment. Even if one somehow thinks that existing statutes authorized appointment of standalone special counsels with the full power of a U.S. attorney, Smith was not properly appointed to such an office. No statute clearly authorized his appointment by any mode other than presidential appointment and Senate confirmation. Any such statute, of course, is governed by the Appointments Clause of Article 2, Section 2, which provides that the President, quote, shall appoint ambassadors, other public ministers and consuls, judges of the Supreme Court, and all other officers of the United States whose appointments are not herein otherwise provided for and which shall be established by law. But the Congress may by law vest the appointment of such inferior officers as they think proper in the President alone, in courts of law, or in the heads of departments. This sentence makes three things clear. First, the default mode of appointment for all officers, whether superior or inferior, is Presidential nomination, Senate confirmation, and then Presidential appointment. Second, this default presumption can only be overridden by Congress in the case of inferior officers. Third, even in the case of inferior officers, Congress must speak clearly to authorize a permissible mode of appointment for those officers other than presidential nomination, Senate confirmation, and presidential appointment. This latter clear statement rule is implicit in the Appointments Clause and the constitutional structure. That clause is both a separation of powers and a federalism provision. It provides appointment power between the president and the Senate, not between the president and Congress as a whole, which lacks power to confirm appointees. The Senate is the body in which states receive equal representation, whatever their size or population, which guards against large state presidents Underrepresenting smaller states in the executive and judicial departments and is why states should appoint their own senators and senators should not be elected to federal office. They instead should be appointed by governors, but that ship has sailed. Oh, a republic if we can keep it. As one convention participant put it, presidential appointment power without the check of the Senate would allow precedents Quote, to gain over the larger larger states by gratifying them with a preference of their citizens. These structural concerns warrant an interpretive presumption in favor of a clear statement of congressional intent to authorize appointment of an inferior officer by any means other than the presidential nomination and the senatorial confirmation. See Biden versus Nebraska 2023, which invokes the major questions doctrine because, quote, the executive sees the power of the legislature. And also Gregory versus Ashcroft, 91, articulating federalism, federalism, clear statement rule. Even without such a presumption, ordinary statutory interpretation demonstrates that the attorney general received no power to appoint special counsels as inferior officers. None of the statutes canvassed in the previous section contains any such authorization. In contrast to the DOJ's organic statute, the organic statutes of the agriculture education, which should be eliminated, human and health services, and transportation departments do not contain inferior officer appointment power clauses. Thus, the agriculture secretary, quote, may appoint such officers and employees and such experts as are necessary to execute functions vested in him. The education secretary should jump off a bridge and destroy their own. (laughs) Sorry, they didn't say that. The education secretary similarly, quote, is authorized to appoint blankety blank such officers and employees, including attorneys, as may necessary to carry out the functions of programming our children to believe communist nonsense. The health and human service secretary is authorized to appoint officers employees who interfere with our health and human services and transportation secretaries can tax everything and cause government road projects to last for decades. And our infrastructure crumble and give handouts to their friends and swampy deals for construction. And Congress gave the Attorney General power to, quote, appoint such additional officers and employees as he he deems necessary, but specifically for the Bureau of Prisons, not more broadly for other DOJ components. I think I may have misread a couple things there. Sorry about that. It is unclear why Congress chose to give general inferior officer appointment power to the aforementioned secretaries, but not the Attorney General. It may be because of the unique threat that an unprincipled Attorney General could pose to civil liberties, the separation of powers, and federalism. Thus, this court need not divine Congress's reasons for making different policy choices because the relevant statutes are unambiguous. Thank you, Rhonda. Rhonda just finished my John Binet Ramsey episode. I'm glad you found it intriguing. I did too. At the time I recorded it, I didn't quite believe the theory I presented. Thought it was a worthy exercise, but later on, a couple weeks later, I found myself saying, "You know what? That uh, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense." I think it was a proof of concept. I do. I think they. I think they faked that as a proof of concept for the technology they wanted to sell the Intel and defense industry agencies, which her dad did. Her dad did sell it to them. DZ Dork, good morning. I will permit you to be late. That's fine. At least you showed up for class. Iowa Trump, good morning to you. Haven't seen you in a while. Glad you're here. Okay. Part three. Am I out of coffee? Oh, darn. Oh,
1: darn. I need a bigger French press.
0: I visited my uncle when I was in Texas last month, and he had a true percolator. Like a real old-school percolator. Like my grandfather had. Like his dad. And um, first time... I mean, if I've ever used a percolator before, I've forgotten it, Uh, but I think it's the first time I've ever used an actual percolator, and um, it was really good. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I typically do French press and walk around with my little mug, a little thermos of coffee, oh man but i need a bigger one or at least for monday mornings i need a bigger one i got a little water okay section three even if special counsels were statutorily authorized they would be superior officers who would need presidential nomination and senate confirmation so even assuming these offices can be created in order for them to have the power or that these offices exist and people can be appointed to them. They need presidential nomination and Senate confirmation. In order to have that power. If Smith Smith actually had the power. Yeah. JB, you got to keep them clean. Well, that's true of all the all the apparatuses we use to make coffee, right? You got to keep them clean. You got to clean them after every time after you use them. You got to clean them so that they, um, yeah. The I think the worst way to make it is drip coffee machines. Filter dog, thank you for the cookie. I think I think uh drip like the most popular way. I think drip coffee machines and then the Keurig system are the worst ways to make coffee. Like I would rank them even worse than instant coffee in some, some (laughs) in some ways I've had some decent instant coffee, although it was mushroom, mushroom instant coffee. Uh, But, and it's good, but French press is definitely my preference. Absolutely. Okay. Where was I? I better not rabbit trail and coffee. I could do that for a while. If Smith actually had the power to convene grand juries, issue subpoenas, direct and conduct prosecutions, and file appeals in this court, let alone the Supreme Court, he would obviously be a, quote, officer of the United States rather than a mere employee. So this is just on its face, matter-of-fact true. In order for Smith to be doing the things he's doing... He can't just be an employee of DOJ. He has to be an officer in order to have that kind of power because those types of powers are assigned or bestowed upon officers of the United States. Yes, I have had chicory in my coffee before. It is good. It's been a long time, but yeah. I have. I typically put honey and coconut oil, uh, in my coffee. My first cup, anyway. Sometimes grass-fed butter. Um. Okay. Uh, more than that, he would be a superior or principal officer, and by the plain terms of the appointment clause, superior officers must be appointed by the president and with the Senate's advice and consent. That is not how Smith was appointed, and he thus could not serve as special counsel, even if such a position validly existed. The special counsels contemplated by the Reno regulations are the equivalent of, if not more powerful, than U.S. attorneys. It is obvious, as an original matter, that U.S. attorneys are superior officers. Um, then they go back to, he, he references the Calabrese and Lawson's Mueller appointment file uh, paper. And the same is true of the special counsels who mirror them. The only plausible argument to the contrary rests not, only, not on original meaning, but on a wild overreading of the Supreme Court's decision in Morrison versus Olson. Those decisions, especially Edmund, contain language that some lower courts have read to mean that anyone who had a superior um, on an agency organization chart must be an inferior officer. But if that were true, the Solicitor General, the Associate Attorney General, all the Assistant Attorneys General, all U.S. Attorneys, and even the Deputy Attorney General would be inferior officers because they all answer at some level to the Attorney General. Likewise. Judges of the federal courts of appeals and district courts would be inferior officers because they can be overruled by the Supreme Court. Could Congress therefore let the Attorney General appoint Court of Appeals judges or the Solicitor General or FBI Director? Of course not. One can be a superior rather than inferior officer in two ways. One is to have no no decisional superior other than the president. Smith's court filings insist that he is independent from his nominal superior, the attorney general, and even the president, assuring the courts that coordination with the Biden administration, which includes the attorney general and President Biden, is non-existent. The insides of motion in limine uh, at six United States v. Trump. Smith thus has no functional superior. Necessarily rendering him a superior officer. And his lack of accountability only compounds the invalidity of his purported appointment. So they're arguing that if we take Smith at face value, we take him as presented. And we say, okay, this office does exist and Smith does have the power that is supposedly assigned to this office, and he's also outside of the DOJ and executive branch, and he's not in league, he's separate from President Biden and Attorney General Garland, then that would mean that he has no functional superior. No one's in charge of him.
1: And that doesn't make sense
0: because that would mean that he has no accountability. He's not accountable to anybody. The other way to be a superior officer is to have so much power and authority that one is superior in a substantive sense. For example, in the late 18th century, a court whose decisions were not subject to review by any other court could nonetheless sometimes be called an inferior court if its jurisdiction or geographic scope was not as extensive as those of other courts. This is why an early draft of Article 3 at the Constitutional Convention proposed creating, quote, one or more supreme tribunals. Inferior does not exclusively mean subject to control, direction, and review. It means that much, but it can also mean more in certain contexts. As Justice Souter perceptively wrote in his Edmund Concurrence, quote, Because the term inferior officer implies an official superior, one who has no superior is not an inferior officer. It does not follow, however, that if one is subject to some supervision and control, one is an inferior officer. Having a superior officer is necessary for inferior officer status, but not sufficient to establish it. Either way, if Smith is an officer, Smith is a superior officer. He has no superior supervising or directing him, as required by Edmund or Free Enterprise Fund versus Public Accounting, uh, 2010. Attorney General Garland does not supervise or direct him, as he said he would not when Smith was appointed special counsel. And Smith is appearing in this court on behalf of the United States. He is prosecuting a former president, the first time that has happened in our nation's history. Smith is purporting to exercise at least as much power as a U.S. attorney, and arguably more. That is the hallmark of a superior officer who must be appointed as such. The absence of such an appointment means that Smith lacks authority to prosecute defendant on behalf of the United States, and that is a powerful, sufficient reason to vacate the decision below, in order that Smith's prosecution of defendant be dismissed.
1: This is a good filing. It's making a lot of sense. I don't like it. But
0: it's good. It's very compelling. Um, part four, we're almost done with this. And then we're going to look at the, the differences between the appointments of various special counsels. This panel is not bound by contrary circuit precedent because SELA law is supervening authority. And this issue may be re- reached suesponte on appeal. On the issue of Smith's authority, moreover, this panel, meaning Supreme Court, is not bound by um, in reply to grand jury investigation, D.C. Circuit 2019, which held that private citizens can be appointed as special counsels consistent with the Appointments Clause. Following that decision, the Supreme Court further explained the Appointments Clause's requirements including an observation that restrictions on the removability of appointed officers have been upheld only under two narrow exceptions, not relevant here. Reference CELA law. Um, and it tells you exactly where to look. Moreover, CELA law expounded the problems with the constitution separations of powers entailed by the CFPD director. Like the director there, the framers determination to quote, divide power everywhere except for the presidency, renders the special counsel's purported insulation from removal unconstitutional. Thus, CELA law constitutes supervening authority between grand jury and now. The law of the circuit doctrine does not require continued adherence to a panel discussion consistent with subsequent Supreme Court precedent. See Maxwell v. Snow, two thousand five. At minimum, this issue warrants polling the full court as a as a substitute for an on-bank determination. Furthermore, this court, meaning this is addressed to the Supreme Court, may reach issue uh, may reach this issue now. It this is filed with the Supreme Court, but um, it's also at the Appeals Court right now in D.C. That is because the Supreme Court has, quote, "...expressly included Appointments Clause objections in the category of non-jurisdictional structural constitutional objections that could be considered on appeal, whether or not they were ruled upon below. Courts have discretion to consider Appointments Clause challenges raised for the first time on appeal. Judicial economy also points towards this court deciding the Appointments Clause issue now, as otherwise defendant will simply raise it before the district court if the case is remanded and this court will face this issue again on appeal this panel is accordingly free to invalidate smith's appointment and should do so conclusion not properly clothed in the authority of the federal government smith is a modern example of the naked emperor illegally appointed He has no more authority to represent the United States in this court or in the underlying prosecution than Tom Brady, Warren Buffett, or Beyoncé. That fact is sufficient to sink Smith's prosecution of defendant, and the court should vacate the decision below in order that the prosecution be dismissed. We express no views on the substantive issues addressed in the party's briefs. Okay. Very, very compelling. And, you know, I like that basically it was up until this line right here where it mentioned some celebrities, right? And it's kind of like a, you know, kind of makes you smile a little bit. You know, it's, it's like we're having a little bit of fun calling Smith a naked emperor and saying that he's no more special than Tom Brady, Warren Buffett, or Beyonce. Other than that, like this filing was straight up. It doesn't play to emotions. It doesn't play politics. It's not full of like uh, any hyperbole or you know it's not ha- it's not half past clever, um, editorializing. Like it's just straight up. This is, these are the powers, these are the laws at issue, these are the statutes, this is what the constitution says, this is what Nixon uh, says. Like, this is just straight up legally, Smith cannot exist as an officer of the United States, and therefore, he does not have the power he supposedly has, and he should be thrown out. Okay, so let's just look at the appointments in recent memory of special counsels and see what the differences are. Um, I will tell you, like I said before, I don't like this filing. Like I like it as in I'm compelled by it. And I think it's a good filing and a good legal argument. It makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm really looking forward to what the appeals court and what SCOTUS eventually says in regards to this filing I'm also looking forward to seeing what is said in defense of it, you know, how someone argues against it, but I don't like it because I don't want Smith invalidated. Um, In fact, let's go ahead and entertain that now. So what if, what do you think happens if the Supreme court agrees with Ed Meese and the Supreme court invalidates Smith's appointment and causes the dismissal of all of Smith's cases against Trump let's just let's just move ourselves there and think about that I'm not sure that's I'm not sure that's the right path because then people will always say that Trump got off on a technicality that Trump was guilty of the document scandal. He's guilty of inciting an insurrection on J6. He's guilty of trying to remain in power. They'll always say that all the charges Smith brought were the right charges to bring, and there may, sh- but Trump got off on a technicality. And then there's that Iowa Trump, right? If all these cases get thrown out, then whatever... Evidence and arguments Trump would have brought against those charges also never gets heard, at least not in a court of law. Right? So I feel like like this isn't that isn't the way you would want this to go. Um. Okay, it's true. I see some people suggesting. Well, if that happened, they would just prosecute they would have United States attorneys prosecute Trump in Florida and in DC that could happen but that sets everything back i could see the angle that um i i could i could see the angle that smith gets thrown out and it's just and trump and team can spin it as and i'm not saying spin it as in they would be wrong but they could spin the news story narrative as see we told you that it was Um, the weaponized Biden justice department coming after Trump because he's Biden's opponent in the election. Look, they went so far as to illegally appoint a special counsel to come after me. Um, and they could play that narrative up and it could work. But those of us who would be buying into that narrative already agree. Like, I don't know how much of a gain that would be right. Like how much would Trump gain from that? Um, I just, it's not that I think this filing's wrong, I find it very compelling, but I don't like the idea of SCOTUS stepping in and just invalidating it all, for those reasons I just listed. I want, I want, I want Trump to be our champion in the ring against, quote unquote, their champion. I want Trump to defeat these charges. And I'm aware that I'm saying what I want. Um, it's a very interesting filing. And on the, I can't argue against it. But what I can do is show you what the other special counsel's appointments, what they were appointed under. Okay, so let's just compare. Let's let's just compare what these other appointments are. So, let's start with Robert Mueller. Okay? Let's start with Robert Mueller. So, he was appointed under <clears throat> 28 USC 509, 510 and 515. And we just talked about those earlier in that filing. And he was given authority to investigate matters that are within the scope of 28 CFR 600.4A and section 600.4 through 600.10 of Title 28. Okay. So Mueller is 28 U.S.C. 509, 600.4, and 600.4 through 600.1, okay, or
1: 0.10. Let's look at Durham.
0: Durham... Is appointed also under 28 USC 509, 510, and 515 and 28, six, 28 CFR 600.4 through 600.10 and pursuant to 600.9B and 609A1. Uh, but it's, it's still it's 600.4 uh, through 610, just like Mueller was. So Muller Mueller's appointment and Durham's are citing the same statutes and federal regulations, right? Same ones. 509, 510, 515. 600.4 to 610. Okay? Let's look at Jack Smith. Jack Smith is 28 U.S.C. 609, 510, 515, and 533. So, Smith's appointment adds Section 533. And then moving down, you see that he's also appointed under 600.4, 600.10. 600.4 through 600.10 of the Code of Federal Regulations. So the difference with Smith is that it adds something. It's not missing something between Mueller and Durham. It adds on Section 533. All right, let's look at Robert K. Hur. Because his name is John, Jack is a nickname. His name is John L. Smith. Robert K. Hur, it's the same thing. 28 U.S.C. 509, 510, 515, and 533. The same thing. Then also mentions section 600.4 to 600.10 of Title 28. But again, it adds on 533. Let's look at Special Counsel David C. Weiss. 28 U.S.C. 509, 510, 515, and 533. And same code of federal, federal regulation, 600.4 to 610. So, Durham and Mueller are the same. 28 U.S.C., 509, 510, 515. But Garland has used those same statutes, 509, 510, 515, plus 533 for the special counsels he's appointed. So let's go and look at these. So first one, Attorney General, 509. 509 says functions of the Attorney General. All functions of other officers of the Department of Justice and all functions of agencies and employees of the Department of the United, Sh- United States are vested in the Attorney General, except for the functions of these right here. Okay, so it's saying that he has the power. 5.10, Delegation of Authority. The Attorney General may, from time to time, make such provisions as he considers appropriate Authorizing the performance by any other officer, employee, or agency of the Department of Justice of any function of the Attorney General. That seems most applicable. So the Attorney General can make such provisions. He can decide things and provide for such decisions. As he considers appropriate... For authorizing performance by any other officer, or employee, or agency of the Department of Justice, or any function of the Attorney General, I think this might be the one that blows up, at Mises filing. And then five fifteen gives the Attorney General the authority for legal proceedings, commission, oath, and salary for special attorneys. The Attorney General may or the Attorney General, or any other officer of the Department of Justice, or any attorney specially appointed by the Attorney General, that right there may be key, any attorney specially appointed by the Attorney General, may, when specifically directed by the Attorney General, conduct any kind of legal proceeding, civil or criminal, including grand jury proceedings, proceedings before magistrates, which United States attorneys are authorized by the law to conduct, whether or not he is a resident of the district in which the proceeding is brought. B. Each attorney specially retained under the authority of the DOJ shall be commissioned as special assistant to the attorney general or special attorney and shall take the oath as required by law. So that's 515. All right. So every special counsel. 509, 510, and 515. Those sections we just read. Every special counsel in the past 10 years has roughly 10 years has been appointed by those. But Attorney General Garland added on Section 533. So let's see what Section 533 says. For that, we got to go to FBI.
1: 533. Investigative and other officials' appointments.
0: The Attorney General may appoint officials, one, to detect and prosecute crimes against the United States, two, to assist in the protection of the President, three, to assist in protection of the Attorney General, four, to conduct other such investigations regarding official matters under the control of the DOJ and the Department of State as directed by the Attorney General.
1: Interesting that he added that in.
0: It kind of seems like he already like that was already implied with the other one. So did did Attorney General Garland grab this one to shore up his appointments? Because Durham and uh, and Mueller they didn't have five thirty three mentioned in theirs, but Garland decided to add five thirty three in his appointments of his special counsels. I bet he did it because it literally says the Attorney General may appoint officials to detect and prosecute crimes against the United States.
1: This is a tough one.
0: Like I'm really, I'm really trying to honestly look at it without what I want to have happen and what, how I think think things ought to go. But it's definitely one where I can read Ed Mises' filing and I'm like, man, that's, that's really compelling. He may be right about all of this and then i go and look at the statutes that right here i look under us 28 us code 5 510 513 i go and look at these like we just said 509 510 515 and 533 and i'm like hmm kind of seems like he's authorized to do what he did
1: and here's something else that is bothersome about it
0: To me, if Jack Smith is if, if Ed Meese's filing is correct, okay? If Ed Meese's filing is correct and Smith is illegally appointed, then wasn't John Durham also e- illegally appointed and Robert Hur and David Weiss and Robert Mueller? I'm honestly like, you know, I, I said on um I said on defected, like not last not last night, but the week before, about how on defected we're trying not to program you. I mean, we are, but like we're we're trying to be outside of the programming and um you know have the awareness, the macro awareness. And then on this show, on my own show. I'm definitely 100% trying to program you guys. In other words, I'm trying to convince you of my point of view. I'm trying to cite documents and, uh, you know, I bring evidence to convince you of certain things. Such as last week, I def- I definitely last week um, wanted to convince everyone that Trump is Batman. And that Trump is a DOJ asset. And I went through evidence of that. And like, I really, that's what I want. I wanted to convince you, uh, in other words, program you to agree with me, basically. To see my side of things and to find it compelling and to incorporate it into your worldview. 100% just being completely candid. That's what I wanted. But on defected, it's a little different. On purpose. We try to be a little different on defective where we're not trying to program you. Or at least we're trying to make it clear that it is programming as we do it, you know, think for yourself and whatnot. But this is a in, this is an instance on this show where I find both sides compelling. And I really don't have an answer.
1: I'm not sure what I think.
0: And one of the things I I think uh one thing that comes to mind here is that I am confident based on the based on the work of the Mueller Special Counsel, based on the work of the John Durham Special Counsel, and based on um you know just based on my study of those things, and then also based on the drops that both Mueller and Durham are, they were supposed to happen. Both of those special counsels are part of the plan. So if they're part of the plan, and I believe they're legit, then wouldn't Smith also be legit? I think the only hang-up with Smith would be that he was not a Senate confirmed United States attorney. But Mueller was appointed outside of government. Mueller was retired as FBI. Mueller was outside, was retired. He was a private citizen. Brought in and appointed under the same, the same US, 28 USC 509-510-515. Durham was serving as the U.S. Attorney for Connecticut. Brought in 28 USC 509-510-515. Smith had been an assistant U.S. attorney, so he had previously been appointed, it was by Jeff Sessions appointed him in uh, Tennessee, middle district of Tennessee,
1: but he had left and had gone over to Europe,
0: Right. And now he's 28, he's brought back in under 28 USC 509, 510, 515, and 533. Robert K. Hur was a Senate confirmed US attorney who had left and then was brought back in 28 USC 509, 510, 515, 533. And David C. Weiss was an active Senate confirmed US attorney for Delaware. And then he gets appointed to special counsel under 28 USC 509, 510, 515, and 533. So, if what Ed Meese arguing, what Ed Meese argues here is legit, if Ed Meese and Steve Stephen Calabresi and Gary S. Lawson are correct, then every one of these special counsels was illegally appointed. And should be thrown out, and every case they brought should be nullified. If Ed Meese, all right, let's let's en- let's entertain the opposite. Let's let's look at the the opposite angle. If Ed Meese and Calabresi and Lawson are incorrect, at least as far as these special counsels being illegally created and the people serving in them being illegally appointed, okay, let's say if they are incorrect, if they're incorrect, okay, then that means not only that all of these are legally created. What does it mean for John Huber?
1: Because you know, a lot of people think that John Huber is still is still doing work.
0: And I don't think it's an accident that uh Mies mentions Huber early on. Where is it?
1: It was early on he mentioned is it page thirteen? Let me control F it.
0: Oh, yeah, it was. I was right there. It's right there on screen. All right. So, other recent examples involved the Senate-confirmed U.S. attorneys Rosenstein, Huber, and Durham. All of these investigations and prosecutions of high-level wrongdoing were lawful. Okay, how, so... How is it that John Durham is lawful, according to Ed Meese, in this filing? but not Robert Mueller and not Smith and he doesn't say so but I would assume not not her and Weiss is he only saying that Mueller and Smith are illegal appointments because they weren't United States confirmed attorneys because if that's it I get it as far as that goes but 509 and 510 and 510 the attorney general may from time to time make such provisions as he considers appropriate authorizing the performance of any officer employee or agency of the department of justice of any function of the attorney general so it seems like that that it seems like to me 510 covers it
1: the attorney general can delegate his authority His authority to any
0: officer, employee, or agency of the Department of Justice. And what was 513? No, 515, sorry. 515, the Attorney General or any, uh, any officer of the Department of Justice or any attorney specially appointed by the Attorney General under law may, when specifically directed by the Attorney General, conduct any kind of legal proceeding, civil or criminal.
1: Hmm. We're se- yeah, yeah. Um
0: Is it Is it Lion Murray? Lion Murray? Is it Lion Murray? Um I'm kind of confused about Lion I think it's Lion Murray. Yeah, you're right. This argument will be awesome to hear on January 9th during the oral arguments. It will be it will be awesome to hear. Yeah. Filter dog. You're right. Yeah. John Durham was confirmed by U.S. Senate. So was Robert K. Hur. So was U.S. Attorney Weiss. But Robert Mueller was also confirmed by the United States Senate when he was appointed FBI director, Correct.
1: Was Robert Mueller not also an officer of the United States as FBI director? And before that, wasn't Robert Mueller an uh, attorney? No.
0: Yeah, Mueller was assistant United States attorney. He was also a Senate confirmed U.S. attorney. He was also a United States assistant uh, attorney general for the criminal division and a homicide prosecutor in D.C. and acting United States deputy attorney general. Just for the fun of it, let's go over to the special counsel section of Wikipedia. yeah, I know it's Wikipedia, but let's just let's just go and see what it says all right, so uh special prosecutor okay, United States, a special counsel, which was formerly called a special prosecutor or independent counsel, is a lawyer appointed to investigate and potentially prosecute a particular case of suspected wrongdoing for which a conflict of interest exists for the usual prosecuting authorities such as. The situation that exists now with the Biden administration and Attorney General Garland and Trump, it was necessary because of a conflict of interest for a special counsel to be appointed to investigate and prosecute Trump, right? Their circumstances are exactly the circumstances to which a special counsel should be appointed.
1: For example, the
0: investigation of an allegation against a sitting president or attorney general. The term special prosecutor and independent counsel and special counsel have the same fundamental meaning. And their use, at least at the federal level in the U.S., is generally differentiated by the time period to which they were applied. The term special prosecutor was used throughout the Watergate era, but was replaced by the less confrontational independent counsel in the 1983 reauthorization of the Ethics of Government Act. Those appointed under that act after 1983 are generally referred to as independent councils. Since the independent council law expired in 1999, the term special counsel has been used. This is the term used in the current U.S. government regulations concerning the appointment of special counsels, such as Title 28 CFR, which is what we were just looking at. While the term special prosecutor is sometimes used in historical, con- historical discussions of such figures before 1983, the term special counsel appears to have been frequently used as well, including, for example, in contemporary newspaper accounts describing the first presidentially appointed special counsel in 1875. Let's fast forward. May 17th, 2017, former FBI Director Robert Mueller was appointed special counsel. December 2020, Barr appointed John Durham. Eight, November 18th, Merrick Garland appointed Jack Smith. January 12th, Merrick Garland appointed Robert Herr. August 11th, Merrick appointed Robert David C. Wise. The current regulations can be found in Part 600 of Title 28. We didn't look at those a while ago. Let's just go ahead and look. 600 general powers of special counsel. And this entire section tells you what are the powers of a special counsel. And the authority for a special counsel, it cites 28 U.S.C. 509, 510, 515 through 519.
1: Really something to chew on.
0: All right. That is my show for today. And I'm sorry, I don't have any program for you directly to tell you exactly what to think and what thing, what it is or isn't. But I think the argument can be made either way, and that's what makes it so good, is that the argument can be made either way. And ultimately, we need SCOTUS to decide, and personally, if I just go off my own personal preferences and the way I view the battlefield... I think invalidating special counsel Smith and dismissing his cases is not what we want to have happen, and we also don't want John Durham's work invalidated, and we also don't want Robert K. Mueller, Robert um Robert Mueller's work invalidated, and we don't want David Weiss, we don't want David Weiss's work invalidated. But of course, we're talking about what we want you know i'm 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 looking at it from what we want to have happen or what I want to have happen. what is legal, what is illegal and it seems to me that you can make the argument either way that it's legal or illegal, like depending on which angle you go at it, which is what makes Ed Misa's filing so good. It's a very compelling filing um and it's and it was nice to read so Make a good argument. SCOTUS needs to decide this. No wonder the appellate court said special count, the um, parties need to be prepared to answer questions about it. So not the last we've heard of this filing. This is definitely going to be a serious issue at the DC court of appeals and later at SCOTUS. So, all right, guys, if you enjoyed the show, please hit the thumbs up over on Rumble. That really helps me out. And um, if you're so inclined, visit my, li- my affiliate links. Get something for yourself. Some honey or some salsa, sauces, manly cans, whatever. And if you do so, they'll kick a few dollars my way. Or if you just want to keep me caffeinated, go to kofi.com and buy me a cup of coffee. And I appreciate everyone who does. Someone's asking for my... John Benet Ramsey episode. That is way back. It's not. It was a special live that I did two years ago, and um, I will find it for you real quick and link it in chat because it is kind of difficult to find, and I should probably, um, I should probably do something about that uh, to make it easier. Um. I hate to make a playlist just for one video, but it kind of seems like that's what I need to do. Uh...
1: Okay. It is...
0: I don't know why it... Why does it appear twice? I don't know why it's on there twice. That's weird. Okay. Yeah, here is the video right here. I'm going to go ahead and just make it its own playlist. I'm just going to right now, because people keep asking for it, and I appreciate that. I'm just going to make a playlist that is like the John Benet Ramsey episode.
1: This is professional streaming right here, guys. This is how you do it. All right, do, 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 create and save. I kind of don't want to retitle it.
0: Um, well, I don't want to, not kind of, I don't want to. The reason for that is Rumble includes whatever title you put on something when you first make it. Um, That's what Rumble puts in the URL for it. And I like to keep, I have a thing about URLs where I want them to be really neat and tidy. And that's why I never put a show dis like I never put a show description in the title of these before they go live, because I like it that the URL for this is just human two thirty five. That that's what's in the URL, and I just I just like it a little bit of an OCD thing with me, I guess. But um, yeah, yeah, that's a all right. I made I made a uh. I put it in its own playlist, so it's much easier to find. I should have done that a long time ago. All right, guys. If you missed Defected last night, definitely check it out. Very good episode. Um, And if you missed my Trump Batman stuff last week, you're really missing out. Go check it out. So, uh, all right. Y'all have a blessed day. Remember, we're not going to win every battle. We are going to win this war. I'll see y'all later.